Welcome to Series 2 of the Rugby Buzz, a podcast brought to you by H&HB Events. My name is Mark Hartery and I'll be your host as I chat to rugby stars past and present about matches they were involved in that remain highlights for them. Today I'm delighted to be able to chat to the former Llanelli and Wales star Phil Davis. Phil played his whole career with Llanelli, making his debut in 1982 and going on to play over 350 times for the club. During that time, he captained the side on many occasions, winning many honours, including five Challenge Cup victories. He made his Wales debut in 1985 in a 24-15 victory against England, alongside his brother-in-law, Jonathan Davis, who was also making his first appearance. He went on to win 46 caps for his country, scoring five tries and won two Five Nations Championships and a Triple Crown. Phil quickly made the transition into coaching being appointed as Director of Rugby at Leeds Tykes in 1996, leading them from National League 4 to the Premiership, winning the Powergen Cup in 2005. He then came back to Wales to take charge of the Scarlets, leading them to the semi-finals of the Heineken Cup in 2007. Since then, he's taken on many coaching challenges, including spells with Worcester, Wales under-20s, Cardiff Blues and RGC in North Wales, before being appointed as head coach of the Namibian national side, taking them to two successive Rugby World Cups. Earlier last year, he accepted the challenge to return to Leeds Tykes to mastermind their charge back up the leagues. Hi, Phil. Uh, welcome to the Rugby Buzz. How are you doing? Good, Mark. Yes, thanks for asking me. I'm looking forward to having a good chat. The sun is shining, so hopefully it'll be a good session. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, it's not often in this country that the sun is shining, is it? And uh, well, particularly, it, it seems to be particularly this time of year, the summer. It seems to go away, doesn't it? But um, it's beautiful out there, certainly at the moment. So uh, certainly make the uh, make the most of it. So um, in terms of in terms of Phil Davis at the moment, um, obviously, I guess you're you're back and forth from South Wales up to uh, up, up to Leeds and heavily involved in what's going on up up there um talk us talk us through what's uh, what exactly is happening with with Leeds Leeds uh, these tights because it, it's it's a big old job isn't it in terms of uh, in, in terms of pulling that round but what I'm sure you're relishing yeah it's um thanks for asking about that it is a big job it's it's a bit of deja vu in many ways and going back <laughs> 25 25 years which is a flipping neck when you think about it it's a it's a quarter of a century ago but, uh, don't, you know, Phil, don't. <laughs> I know, flip. I was like, woof. But it, it, it was when when I spoke to the club, the the sort of end of 2019 now, actually, come flipping. Like, obviously, we were a year okay, out yeah. with the pandemic. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah and, and, you know, they we discussed things, and it was a case of going back. I think I likened it to trying to help an old friend. You know, they they were in a bit of a, 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 a bit of trouble, and and you know, normally in those instances, you want to help people who've, who've helped you. And and the club yeah. was the first club that gave me my coaching opportunity. Uh, I spent ten years there. My family with a wonderful experience, and it was a case of going back and trying to uh, add experience, support, and trying to make a difference to move the club forward again. And obviously the last 12 months we've done that virtually most of the time. Uh, but now we've started training again. And, you know, it's it's not a long, long-term thing f- for me really, Mark, because I've been there and I've been fortunate to experience it previously. But I hope to have a continued involvement with the club moving forward. It's more hands-on at the moment than will most probably be for the next 12 months but after mm. that, then it's a case of still having an involvement, and it, you know it might be less hands-on then than it is now. But at the moment, I'm loving it and enjoying it, and it's wonderful being back in Leeds. It's so familiar as well, such a wonderful city, and Yorkshire is a wonderful county for rugby union and mm. soccer, rugby league, cricket. Yeah, yeah, it's a great sporting county. Full stop, and the talent. Uh, the hotbed of talent is there. So it's exciting and, you know, it's encouraging early signs, some good partnerships with the universities there um, and and some 
you know, we've got some new sponsors, some old sponsors who've been there previously supporting the club. So it's exciting and people have been, you know, extremely supportive and, and, and got behind the new idea, if you like. And and you mentioned obviously the, the last twelve months you've been doing it virtually. I mean what what does what has that entailed? Yeah, it's it's a lot of Zoom calls with the players. Yes. We've we've we looked at we looked at the recruitment really, similarly to what we did years ago, but we we looked at the recruitment in respect of we wanted a players who were either living, working or studying in Leeds. So they had a you know, they had a bit of a connection with the city, obviously. And then we looked at changing the name, Leeds Tykes. They were Yorkshire Carnegie. They've been Leeds Carnegie. But for me, it was always Leeds Tykes. So there was a support yeah. for that to happen. So we've been sort of looking at what's what does that mean? Um, what are the key pillars that we want to build a club around? So we're talking about you know behaviour before skill at the moment, getting the right type of culture, identifying good values, you know, honesty, team first, work ethic, those type of things. And trying to grow it from a strategic point of view, look at a good coaching, a good talent ID, good governance and good partnership. So looking at, you know, really focused strategic areas and then getting the behaviours right and making sure we can develop a culture where people want to come and enjoy watching and playing, um, you know, and being involved with the club again. Uh, we've got a wonderful facility at West Park Leeds, which has a history with the club. Uh, you know, 41 acres, 10 fields. Honestly, it's an amazing setup there. Um, so we're very lucky. You know, they've got their own first team. They've got a wonderful junior section, successful uh, leader, women's team as well. So it's it's great. This is, you know, it's it's nice. It's, it's sort of new, if you like, or the mm. sort of, you know, trying to rise a phoenix out of the ashes, so to speak. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's good. It's good. It's good. And, you know, as I said, there's some wonderful people up there, and we're you know we're really excited about what sort of the art as a possible is, as a friend of mine always says. Uh, you know, and there's a huge amount of possibilities there. You know, to try and improve and you know get the Tykes playing again. I don't think the Tykes jersey's been worn for about twelve years in battle, so no. <laughs> it's uh, it's you know is is plenty to look forward to. And, and when when will you guys get going again in terms of, of physically playing? Is it next season then? Um, yeah, the league competition is, is starting next season. But what we've done, we've created a little sort of a mini cup competition called the Venture Cup, which is after oh, yes. one of our new main sponsors. And there's Leeds Beckett, Super League uh, team involved, uh, and there's Halionians and ourselves. So there's a little three-team competition playing under adapted rules, which will start middle of May and go through until the middle of June. It's only five games. Uh, and we're going to have a final at Headingley, which would be fantastic. So we're going to have a oh, wow. try and get all clubs there, try and encourage lots of other local clubs in Leeds to come along uh, and to have a real, um, you know, a real Leeds Rugby Union day there. So which should be quite exciting, you know. Definitely sounds uh, sounds incredibly exciting. And, and you touched on, you know, people may be surprised, but it's a huge hotbed of, of rugby union. And as you say, sport in general around uh, around there. I think there was a there was a stat, wasn't there, that Yorkshire, if they'd have if they'd have competed in the was it the twenty twelve Olympics, would have come about eighth in the medal table or something stupid like uh, stupid like yeah, that with the people that they had. Exactly. So you know, it's a it's a fab place to uh, you know to to get things going again, and hopefully everything crossed that. Um, It'll be uh, it'll be successful, and we'll see Leeds Tykes rising back uh, rising back up the leagues as they did before. Yeah, well, it's 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 a it's a big job for sure, but uh, <laughs> somebody's got to do it. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. But the support has been remarkable, and as you say, Yorkshire is England's biggest rugby playing county, as far as I'm aware. And uh, mm. so, as I say, that's where the hotbed of talent is, and the enthusiasm for the game, but just sport in general. You know, Leeds is well a county. You know, but Leeds is the base of Leeds United, obviously, the mighty mm. Leeds. And you've got Leeds Rhinos. Headingley is a world-class stadium now. Um, always had, you know, massive history and tradition. But when you go in there now, the facilities are just absolutely, you know, top-class, modern-day, world-class facilities. You've got Yorkshire cricket there as well. So, you know, it's the city, the county. It's it's a wonderful sporting 
uh, sporting, um, you know, centre really. So it's uh, yeah, it's exciting, Mark, and hugely huge potential, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it must be, and, and hugely rewarding to be uh, to be involved in, and and you know, knowing the things that you've uh, you've you've done, kind of post playing rugby it's right up your street as well isn't it in terms of that strategy and the leadership and all those things that you you know you're so very good at it, it's it, it fits brilliantly with uh with 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 this particular role doesn't it yeah it does it does and i'm lucky you know gary hetherington still working there you know who's, i think still you know is the best you know ceo i've worked with in any rugby club since i've been coaching and he's still there and it was a big attraction to go back to work with gary because we both see things in the same way we you know it's money's important but so is process so is people in particular uh, and we know that you know it's it's all about progression and 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 incremental sort of uh steps along the way to achieve your goal and um you know, we, we we have similar philosophies in that respect. And there's a couple of, you know, other people there who were there in the first instance with me. So we all know each other and we have similar sort of modus operandi, if you like, and and and, and, and that gives good understanding of how we can move things forward. But it, it'll take time. And But the support is there. And more, more importantly, the enthusiasm uh, that goes with that uh, is, is there too. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting time. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously the importance of the of the people, and I know that you've done uh, uh, a, f- a few bits lately of interviews and so on in terms of of kind of mental health and well being, and particularly around rugby and 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 sport and how that's uh, you know that's helped. Has that has that played a big part in in what you're trying to achieve there as well? Um, I wouldn't say directly. Um, my my sort of coaching well my leadership philosophy if you like and the coaching comes into that obviously is has always been people first you know development driven and competition ready if you like getting people ready to play in a competition whatever that might be it could be the world cup it could be the premiership you know and in this case now it's with leads in national one so i think it's always important that you know for me anyway that we create an environment that looks after people where they they have a sense of belonging they feel valued there are levels of control and they feel safe there mark you know so mm. it's something that the last year for me is you know i think i've been a pretty resilient guy over the over over the years in my rugby career particularly in coachings you have to be but there were always things in the back of my mind that would be sort of tripping me up as i would go along again with maybe an experience i'd had here or there uh and they've all been wonderful, by the way. However, there were some which were more tougher than others, and I wasn't, I wasn't able to get get over certain uh, experiences in the right and proper way in order to learn the maximum amount and then to move forward. Yeah. So the last twelve months have been really interesting. My mum passed away in December, and I think that was, mm. I suppose, the final catalyst to say, "Hang on, Phil, you need to try and sort of move on from one or two of these experiences." Which I had done, but not totally. Um, yeah. So it's—I think it's been a combination, really, of that extra understanding and self-awareness growth that I've sort of had the last twelve months, and and it's helped me a little bit in my coaching as well, and helped me to put more things into perspective in order to move forward and try and help and support others and make a difference, Mark. You know, and and I've had a great experience of international coaching in Namibia uh, the last five years. Um, and that's really helped as well. Um, and I feel quite, you know, quite rounded uh, in terms of what I can bring to the table now in, in terms of my leading and coaching. And and I'm, I'm, able, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a vehicle in Leeds to be able to do that. So I feel very fortunate and blessed in that regard. And, and it's it's allowing me to speak more openly, I, I suppose, about things now nowadays, and and hopefully make sense. And there'll be certain things that will help others. And that's another big, you know, big purpose of mine in life is trying to make a difference, um, you know, and use my experience to help other people, um, you know, move forward, uh, you know, in their in their in their uh, career, if you like, or in their life, you know. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's you know speaking out of, about your own experiences, Phil, is 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 huge. And as as you know, you know the last twelve months for 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 me and for us haven't been haven't been great. We've had some tragedies as well in 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 our lives, and and just you know there are there are days when you can't move past it, and and you you know just talking to people, and and the thing that the thing that kind of does it for me is is the fact that. You you sometimes you, you know you have have those thoughts in your own mind about you can't move forward or you can't do that, and you think you're alone. You think you, you you're the only person that's ever going through that. Yeah. And then you listen to guys like yourself and and lots of other guys over the last six nine twelve months in in sport and in life general who who come out and say, do you know what? That's exactly how I've been feeling. And 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 for me, you you kind of sit back and go. Wow, it's not just me, and it is good to talk about it. And just having that that environment whereby you can talk about it just is is a huge relief. And and you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for getting you know blokes in particular talking because you know we we are the world's worst, don't we, Phil? In terms of yeah, in terms of sure. expressing that, Partic- particularly in a in a I suppose in a in a macho type environment like like rugby about. Um, you know, you, you you brush that off, and and there are huge highs and lows in professional sports and in life generally, and and we have to get better at talking about that. So creating that environment is is absolutely huge. And the more people that come out and say, Do you know what, yeah, I've been there, I, I I know exactly what you you're saying, will just just help so so many people. Yeah, let's let yeah, absolutely, spot on there, Mark, spot on. I think it's. <laughs> It's about supporting, isn't it? And and supporting and nurturing and and growing, you know, through 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 your experiences. And uh, we've got a great bunch of young guys at Leeds now, and they might ring me. I'm going to be late, and or oh, I'm going to be. I can't attend tonight because they're all working. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a yeah, you know, yeah. it's an amateur environment basically. Um, and you know, as a coach, maybe twenty years ago, you, you'd pour a bit more petrol on the fire when they could, because they feel they want to turn up, but they feel it is a you know they don't feel quite right about not being able to. And then if you throw, you know, a little bit more fuel on the fire, if you like, it just makes them feel worse. And and you don't want that. You want to say, okay, great, you know, I got to go to your dad's birthday, fine, great, or I got to do this, so I got to. And just support them through it. And in the end, if, if if it becomes a consistent theme, you've got to have a discussion and say, look, maybe yes. this isn't helping your uh, development as a player. It's not helping our development as a team because you can only move forward as 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 quick as your slowest learner, for example. Or yeah. you know, or if if you're only doing one session a week, you know, you're not going to move forward as much as if you were doing two or three potentially. So it's it becomes a numbers game in that regard, but. It's 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 so important to make people feel that they are valued, and you know they, that's the most important thing. And we learned that in, you know, I've learned that a long time ago, but I learned it in Africa more than anywhere because you go to places and you see people who have nothing, but they still got a smile on their face and they still got enthusiasm to do certain things. And I'm a huge admirer of that. And and you know it it. It's all about I am because we are, you know, I am strong yeah. because we are strong together. And that's a huge um, lesson that that I've really learned practically from experiences. And uh, as I say, no more so in the last five years. And it's, it's just wonderful now to have that opportunity to uh, to be able to put that back, that new learning back into uh, you know, an oppor- an opportunity to grow to grow a club. But you know, I'm very passionate about the many others are too. So, yes, it's it's quite it's quite nice in that regard. Yeah, and 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 you know, uh, a huge huge uh, you know thank you really in terms of, of of for what you're doing in terms of just speaking out because it does help so many people out there and and sometimes you just you don't you don't realize that people don't realize that coming out and I, I don't want to say showing a sign of weakness because that's old. That's old style. It's not a weakness at all to talk about it. It's a huge, huge strength to be able to 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 do that. Um, and and it it 
it does just create that environment where people are talking, you know, people do check in on people. People do um, ask people how they are. It's a very British thing, isn't it? How are you? But we don't really want to hear the answer. Um, we we well, kind of move, want we to kind move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, for me, it, I, I've, you know, my experience is I didn't recognize when I may have been depressed over the past X amount of years and didn't have the courage maybe to speak up about it. But, yeah. you know, and I, and I don't get me wrong, I've, you know, I've had a pretty blessed life so far, that is for sure. And there are people who have been in far, far more difficult positions than I. But, you know, I, you know, for me, it was just important to just to speak my truth in a sense of how I felt. And, you know, as I say, there are other people who got far more difficult and compelling stories to say than myself because I think I've been very lucky. But, you know, hopefully, you know, it does make people, whether it's, whether it's you know, whether it's small, medium, large issues, whatever it might be, I think it, it's, it's as, you, as you've alluded to, Mark, it's so, so important to talk to people and have, have the courage and speak to the right people. You know, um, up until I did the, the, the podcast with Simon at Wellity, I think I told about four people uh, how, you know, how I felt. And two of those were professional people who helped me. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's just, yeah, I feel a lot better. I feel as, you know, uh, there's a bit of a weight was lifted when I decided, look, this is how I'm going to, and you feel better. You, you stop judging yourself against others. You stop looking for perfection. You know, there's lots of different things. You, 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 you take the learning out of the, the difficult experiences and you move on and you realize it's, it wasn't all your fault at the end of the day. There are other people that are going to take responsibility and accountability for those experiences as well. But, you know, what I've learned is is how to, okay, is be accountable for my part in the experiences, which was which sporting, by the way. There was nothing more than that. And, mm. you know, there was no life-threatening thing there, which I was very lucky in that respect, where other people go through far more difficult experiences as 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 you've um, as you've uh, sp- spoke to me about previously. So I feel very humbled about where I am and where I've been with it all. But nevertheless, there were things I needed to clear out, and I've done that, mm. you know. Or I'm looking forward. Yeah, but the, but even that though, Phil. In, in in the last twelve months, we've had so many people say to to myself and Helen, my wife, that that um, oh oh, you know, I've got these issues, but they're nothing. Oh, they're nothing like what you've had to go through. And that you know, for us, there's no there's no real hierarchy in terms of in terms of that. What what's troubling that individual at that moment in time is the most important thing in their life, and and it it, it doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter whether, as I say, you know, in our case, it was a it was a suicide and 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 so on. But it it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's it's the most important thing to that. It might be that those paper clips on their desk are in the wrong place, and it just it just freaks them out. But it's so important to 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 do that, and uh, you know that's that's what we've been trying to say back to people is is look, you know, if you're struggling with anything, then talk about it. Talk talk about it. We can we can try and work something out. It doesn't matter that you might not think it's very important. Um, because it is, it's it's important to you, and that's all that matters. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I I spoke to a good rugby friend of mine, um, a rugby colleague of mine. We played against each other years ago, and and he went abroad to work for a while. A great guy, absolutely great guy. And and you know, I talked to him about a couple of things, and and he talked to me the journey he'd be on, he'd been on. He's totally mm. transformed his life and the way he was thinking about things and thinking about individuals, thinking about experiences, and 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 it sort of changed his his sort of way of thinking and the consequence changed his sort of life, if you like. And that sort of I've taken a lot of um, you know a lot of solitude out of what he said and listened to what he said and and it's and he's right and he, you've got to chat about it, you've got to make sense of it, then you move on and and it becomes. Uh, an easier place in some ways, although still challenging, because that's what life's about. We all want challenges. You all want, yeah. you know, to enjoy and 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 you know, it, you all want to make a difference in a positive sense to you. So be a good person. So yeah, it's it's interesting times. There's plenty, there's plenty going on. So it's good. 
Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And before we move on to your, your favourite game and, and what's what's really good about the, your choice of choice of game is that we're going to do it from a from a coaching perspective rather than a, a, a playing perspective, which I think is, is really interesting. But we've just finished the Six Nations. Uh, Wales have come out on top, although you wouldn't have wouldn't have thought that after the uh, after the autumn. I think you've got a, a really good price on on that happening. But of course, then, you know, a couple of weeks after that, you had, I suppose, for want of a better term, the 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 almost capitulation in terms of the regions in Europe and, and some of the performances from, from there. So you've got this huge, you know, Wales really successful regions really struggling for, for lots and the, the whole thing about the, the WRU loan and them having to pay it back and, and so on. You, you've been heavily involved in, in regional rugby and Welsh rugby for, for many, many years. Have you, got a, have you got a take on that, why there is this difference? Um, I think professional sport, if you want to summarise it, is, is from a performance point of view, uh, I'm talking you're not particularly from a, from a financial point of view. No. It's always small margins. And, and what happens is if, you know, in, in sport, things can change on a kick of a ball or a bounce of a ball. As we know, it changes from one week to the next. Yeah. You know, you, you take England, France, was a wonderful game of rugby at Twickenham. And then England playing Ireland the following week. So, you know, when, and then so if you're Ireland, you're looking what England are doing well and you're going to try and stop them. So it's never one game is the same, obviously. It, you know, it's different date, different times, but it's generally such a, a moving a moving feast. And it's about learning. And I think what, you know, great credit to the to the coaching staff and the playing group with Wales that they went through a tough time last year, but they learnt from uh, the tough experiences and they learned from adversity and they came back stronger. And that, hence, that, you know, was within minutes of leading to a grand, well, 11 minutes of leading to a grand slam. <clears throat> so, excuse me, so the start point um, from where, uh, from last year uh, to the start point of this year was vastly different and, and lessons learned were, were, were wonderful. And, and also with the regions, yeah, the Scarlets were, you know, brutally beaten. Uh, against uh, physically and technically, tactically against Sale. But if you look at the other three games, Mark, you know, they were all, the teams were in command. You know, if you look at the Blues with David up in London Irish, they were in total control of that game and they lost it at the end. Similarly, the Dragons, similarly with the Osprey. So, you know, there is, yes, we can look at the financial side of it, uh, but, you know, when you look at the other three games outside of the Scarlets, it was a bit of experience, a bit of game management, as I think Da Young said. So, you know, when you look at it, and and, and if you want to forensically split it, you know, down in, into different sections of financing, um, uh, mental, the mental side of the game, physical, technical, tactical, you know, if you go through the whole thing and have a real objective review, there are lots of good stuff going on. You know, there are lots of good things going on, but we have generally over a long period of time not been able to compete, you know, at European level consistently. We've had the team I coach in the Scarlet, which is a very close um, uh, uh to be one of my favourite matches in Toulouse. You know, the, the first year we were there, we won seven games out of seven to get to the semi-final. Uh, you know, and we beat Toulouse, um, uh, London Irish and Ulster. And Toulouse are the champions at that time. Ulster were the reigning uh, Magnus champions at that stage. And the team was amazing. But then the second year when we were trying to rebuild the team, uh, to move forward because we had a you know a team that was getting to the average age of 29 mm. um you know it's a different story um you know when i was at the blues our budgets were 2.83 million where other teams are competing out in europe are three or four five times that amount so th there's always a bit of, you know there's always context in my opinion that needs to be taken into account and i think the regions have done reasonably well over a long period of time to compete like they have considering the backdrop of the finances as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, and, and, and I also believe that, you know, you've got to try and maximise whatever you have, you maximise what, you, what you've got. And, you know, this game we're going to speak about now, I suppose, is a prime example of that. That particular year at the Blues was 
just over three million salary cap, but we beat Toronto, we beat Glasgow back to back. Over it all, because of the 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 levels of funding and 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 talent and development, you know, you lack some consistency, and I think that's where it is when you look at. You know, you need to build a foundation and then you need to grow that foundation in order to be consistently successful. And there's been a lot of change in regional rugby uh, over the years. You know, particularly there was a self-imposed budget um, mm. uh, put in by the regions the time I was in the blues. So and when, and when you and when you when you strip a lot of costs out, it takes you a while then to rebuild them back in, you know. Yeah. Sponsorship money, availability of that, availability of players. So when you grow in, it takes five years to grow a successful team. You know, three years to build a foundation, and years four and five, you should be successful. And then you've got to repeat that process. And if you look at Leinster, the Exeter, Leinster, now Bristol, uh, to name three that come to the top of my head, are are potentially the greatest examples of that over the over a period of time. You know, we were playing my first time around at Leeds. We were we were playing against Exeter in 1996. So they Rob Baxter has been there since that time. I remember playing my last game of rugby against Rob down in the county ground in Exeter. So the, the wow. thing is there, there's consistency and continuity are absolutely vital. And then you've got to bolt on all those other uh, areas like we've discussed now, the business element of it, now the on and off the field stuff. You know, you've got to grow that uh, and 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 have as much consistency and continuity as possible. Uh, and sometimes in the in regional rugby, that's not happened for varying reasons. But the intention has always been to be successful. But that takes time. It does take money. I don't believe it's all about money. Uh, money is important, absolutely, mm. but it's more important in how you use it, and the type of, you know, structure and strategies you you you, uh, you use that uh, that financing uh, are arguably just as important, if not more so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you you touched on uh, you, you touched on the game that we're going to uh, going to chat about your your favourite game, and, and as I say, from a coaching perspective, and you're taking us back. Uh, seven and a half years, nineteenth uh, of October two thousand and thirteen. It was the the second round of the Heineken Cup. Um, uh, it was uh, you were in charge of Cardiff Blues at the time. Uh, the first the first week, just to put it into context, you mentioned Exeter, um, but the the Blues had actually lost fairly heavily at, at uh, there the previous week, although. A brilliant second half performance had, had brought it back. I think it was thirty six three at half time, um, and then four tries in the second half, which which brought it back to forty four twenty nine. And then on the back of on the back of that, um, you you then take on the reigning champions Toulon, who, as as you've alluded to, probably had a budget of three, four, five times what you were working with at uh, at the Blues. I think. You know, players from eight different eight different countries, um, uh, oh, thousands of caps between them, and and just real real star studied. So on on the back of that exit, and and I think again to put it into context, I think hadn't you parted company with your defence coach the week bef- that week as well? I think in in terms of leading up to 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 Toulon. Um, so it, you know there were loads of things going on. So uh, as as coach of the Blues, what, what was that week like? I mean, talk us talk us through that. Yeah, I think to give you a bit of context, a bit of background context. When I when I was asked to go there, um, the Blues had lost. I think I think it was twenty nine people, both on and off the field, between since Di Young had left uh, a, a year or so uh, before. So it was a massive change, huge change. Uh, and when I look back now, I didn't actually coach as much on the field as perhaps I should have because I was in the background working on the strategy of of putting, you know, performance analysis uh, was in there, but we were changing the way we were doing that, the medical team. So there was a lot of change, basically, Mark, huge amounts of change. And, and you know, the coaching team was changing. Uh, there were certain things we had to do that, Arguably, I didn't want to do, but we, but we did. 
Um, and so there was some experience in the coaching group, but also a lot of inexperience. And and we had, you know, some of the younger international players at the time were Bradley Davis, Sam Warburton. They were they were starting because Martin Williams had retired, Paul Tito had retired, for example. So you were they although some of the players were international players, they they had been underpinned by more experienced international players at that time. Hence the example between Martin and Sam. World class players, world class guys. Um so there were lots of change and, and we, we went into the Exeter game and I remember one British Lion saying to me after in the preparation, he said, I was poor, Phil. I said, I agree with you. The week the week had been lots of international players had only been back two weeks um, into this into the system and we'd been growing and developing a squad, but there was an expectation that these international players would play. Uh, it wasn't my expectation because they hadn't been back long enough. Uh, we mm. hadn't had that, you know, they'd been playing test rugby, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, we picked them and we played and we were poor. We were poor. Uh, there were a lot of things that, that didn't happen. After the game, I was trying to defend the performance because my mantra is never criticise the players publicly, but I got my messaging wrong in the press as well. And a good friend of mine, you know, who worked for Sky Sports said to me, Phil, there comes a time where you can't defend you know, the undefendable and, and the performance wasn't great. Um, but, you know, we took responsibility from that and, you know, we played well second half. But then during the Toulon week, you know, I decided that, right, OK, how how are we going to approach it? Because when you play these great teams, you, you know, you can, if you use an analogy of a, of a, of a of a Ferrari actually, which is what I talked about at the time. But my point my point was, you know, you, you when when you go when these teams go to first, second, and third and fourth gear, you can stay with them. It's when they go to fifth gear is that you've got to step up and stay with them. Uh, and that's what we talked about. That week was all about speed. It was beating Toulon into, into position, winning the race around the corner, winning the race to get off the floor first. So it was a very speed orientated uh, thought process, if you like. Um, and, you know, when you got players like we had at the time within the group, you know, like Warburton, Gethin Jenkins, who's arguably, I wouldn't maybe arguably say anymore, but the most intelligent rugby player I've ever coached and I'm sure will in time become a world-class coach as well. He was always two or three phases ahead of everybody else in his thinking. So, you know, we, we looked at it was all about speed, you know, it was about speed of the floor, as I said, speed in the position, speed to go forward, and basically to deny Toulon any space whatsoever. That wasn't the case, but we were trying to, you know, because what great rugby players want is time and space. Sometimes they create it themselves, obviously, because they're so great. Uh, they're such brilliant players. But, you know, that day... That approach, sorry, was was embedded in the very first session, and we had a real enthusiasm and edge about our preparation, which we hadn't had the week leading to Exeter. So the international players were back. That was the third week that they were back. And I always believe it takes you 21 days to change a habit or to implement a new idea or whatever. I, simple. That's my logic. I work in threes as a coach. Um, three days, three weeks, three sessions, and you can see progression. So fair play. The, boy, the players were magnificent. We had a really intense training week, and we took our mindset into the game that we were going to deny them time and space by being quicker than them, into position, et cetera, et cetera. So that's how it all, that's how we built up, and that's how the game unfolded, fortunately. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the all those things that you worked on in training – um, it just showed a, a marked difference. You were, you were just, as you say, quicker to everything. You closed the uh, closed the players down. Um, so, from a from a coaching perspective, that must have just been fantastic to watch. Oh yeah, it was, and and I think you know, simple simple messages, and you know, the players, you know, the play. You know, like I said earlier, when you've got players like Warburton there, you've got Halfpenny at full-back, and, you know, you've got um, uh, Gethin Jenkins up front there, you know. Uh, it was, you know, they make their own decisions on the field as well, and, and it's our job to just to try to give them that, you know, 
that license to do that, of course, and and the framework for everybody else to, you know, to to understand and to, and, and and to fit into. So it was, oh yeah, it was it was brilliant, mate. That you know the whole thing was was really satisfying. You know, considering we came off the back of a very, you know, poor performance. Although there were some good reasons in some, well, not good reasons, but there were understandable reasons in some way. That, you know. The, the transformation for a lot of people was quite remarkable, but for myself, it was just another lesson on on yeah. on the small margins in top top end sport. Yeah, I mean the thing that's the thing that's always fascinated me, Phil, is from a coaching perspective, just what goes through your mind that, that you know those hours leading up to uh, up, up to kickoff. Perhaps give us a give us an insight into that. Yes, well, well, in the beginning when I started coaching, you're trying to tick. Um, you know every box in the coaching manual. But as you get a bit older, you realise or more experienced, you you realise that you've got to hand you know the responsibility and over to the players. You've got to trust the players. Um, and you know that game, I was pretty confident that we'd prepared really well. The players were really excited. The Arms Park was was rocking. Really, it was full of the capacity. Uh, and, uh, and I was going to say, and all, all all the crowd in their pink hats, of course, because you were wearing uh, pink shirts. That was a bit different, wasn't it? That was right. Yeah, it was for a it was for a charity that. Uh, That's uh, right. Yeah. Uh, at the time, the cancer charity, and um, it had been a tough week in that regard because Matthew Reese had been diagnosed that week, and he had to pull out um, yeah. of the game, and so that you know, it, it, it wasn't without these challenges that that week for, for varying reasons and you know there's a huge respect for him within the team as well Matthew and that was a bit of extra motivation for the players to do him proud and to do well for him as much as the team and the supporters and all the other stuff that goes that goes with it you know um but yeah it was for me it was a it was a it was a good preparation which meant you know you relax before the week and that uh, before the game sorry and that's what I tried to you know, as a coaching mantra, if you like, is make sure that you you plan well, so that you're not rushing towards the end of the week to put things in, and that's the time when the players get a little bit more and more stressed because the competition is around the corner. Uh, that's your job as a coach, really, to get the players as well prepared and as relaxed as possible to allow them to to. Um, uh, to allow them to get that individual preparation in because players always, uh, there's some players who like a lot of shouting and screaming before the game. There are others who don't and some like music uh, in the changing room, some like it through the headphones. So you've got to be very mindful of 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 creating that space where they can be the best they can be come match day. And that's what that week was like for me personally. Some of the other coaches may have felt differently. But I know we were all pretty relaxed as a coaching team in the respect. Oh, well, we weren't relaxed, but we, we there was a lot of tension there because it was such a big game. But I think we were, we, we were comfortable then, shall we say, in the fact that we felt that the team were well prepared and, and that was down to the players, to be fair. But I, and I think, you know, we, we collaborated well with them during that week. And we we touched on it earlier, but the if you look at the two sides, um, you know the the blue side was a was a, a mix of of young internationals as as you uh, as you said, and and some uh, some some young players generally within that side. And then you look at the Toulon side, and you know one to twenty three, it, it's just you know they're they're all big names, big personalities, you know, very very experienced. How much? How much does that? Uh, I, I suppose names like you know Wilkinson and Castro Giovanni and Bota and Ali Williams and on all of all of those. How much do they physically come into the uh, the preparation in terms of maybe opposite numbers or or, or, or so on? Does it at all? Yeah, you, you you are aware of those type of players. Of course you are. You're aware of the quality of the opposition, but there's a balance then of like, I've always tried to be 80, 20, 80, 80% focused on our, our game or the team I'm coaching's game and 20% on the others. You, you know, you'd be, it'd be crazy to eliminate that type of quality from your th- analysis, your thinking. Um, and that's where the speed come in. Although a lot of those guys you mentioned, 
you know, particularly the front five forwards are too mm. long. They were big, experienced men. And I thought the little edge we had was we could beat them for speed uh, in terms of getting off the floor, getting off the line, that sort of stuff. So that's what we sort of focused on there. You know, and the physicality sometimes is trying to avoid it wherever you can. You know, it, it's 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 you know it's it's like people you know they're a strong driving line out. So we had to be a bit smarter with our kicking game. You know, we rather than kick sort of kick long and off, we were kicking long and on because we had a good you know we had a good line chase and that sort of stuff. So it's it's all those sort of things. And and it's like I mentioned earlier, you know, with with the people with our international players, we had Sam was. You know, Sam was ending up being the Lions captain in 2013. Mm-hmm. But my point earlier was, what I meant earlier with my point about Martin and Paul Tito and then Bradley Davis and Sam, they, you know, the seniority, they were just starting then to come through, although they were international rugby players. And in Sam's case, he was a young Welsh captain and, and, yeah. and, a, and a brilliant Lions captain. That sort of seniority position within the Blues only became, only came to them a couple of years previous when Martin and, and Tito, for example, had retired. So it was it was a bit of a change in the guard in that in that sense as well, although they had some international experience behind them. So it was, a, as I said, the background, hugely transformational season and a half. Uh, and to put a performance in like we did, against Toulon and then the Bla- the Glasgow games back to back. It was showing mm-hmm. that we were progressing, that we were making progress, although that progress was intermittent. As I said earlier, there was a lot of inexperience and we didn't have a settled group of coaches or players really. We were capable of putting some great performances in, but then our performances would dip. Uh, and I think that was the frustration really at the end of it. When I left the, the job, I think if we'd have had three or four or five years, I would have been very confident that we would have won, won, won some trophies a little bit quicker than perhaps we did the next time around after David, you know. So, yeah, it, it was going back to the game. It was a brilliant performance because it, and, and, and result because there were lots of those, you know, factors around at that time, some you had control of, Others you didn't, uh, but that mm. day it all certainly came together uh, in a, in a wonderful way for both, you know, players on and uh, on the field and supporters off the field. You know, yeah, and and you know, first half, you know, defense, both defenses really were were on top. There weren't that many uh, that many opportunities, you know, penalties exchanged. But to come in at half time at six all. Again, your next opportunity really to, uh, you know, apart from the the, the uh, obvious water breaks and to get information on, but, um, you, you know, what was the message at half-time there? Oh, yeah, the messaging from coaching is overrated, I tell you now, because we, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a lot of it. You don't have a lot of, you know, players in the, in the, in the heat of the battle. And, you know, your message has got to be short, sharp, clear, succinct, all that sort of stuff. And, and half time, you've got a little bit of a, a chance to settle people down. And, and really, that's where your preparation comes in. You know, you, you have a good plan, but then you need to adjust it. As somebody said to me once, you know, top level rugby, international rugby, Heineken Cup rugby is just about, you know, moving the sails a little bit on, 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 the, on, on the yacht, if you like, on the ship. You can't, you can't make huge change, but, you know, if you are losing momentum, if you if you change it to a certain angle, you can rebuild. You can build back that momentum back. And half time was look. You know, are we doing what we said we would before the game? Yes. Are they doing what we said they would before the game? Yes. Okay. How can we now elevate? How can we do? You know, how can we do a little bit more? How can we just improve on that? So we did. You know, we didn't have massive changes. There may have been a bit of space here and there, which we you know, which we saw in the first half that maybe we didn't exploit uh, at all or consistently enough. So just a little few changes, but mainly it was the same message. You know, let's get around the corner quickly. Let's get off the floor before them. Let's get, let's, you know, if we're moving forward in defence, let's, let's pinch the first metre. Uh, so they got one less metre to, to attack with, for example. So mm-hmm. with those type of things, Mark, and, 
the players were energised coming in, you know. I was like a lunatic. I think I was getting too excited. <laughs> I, I remember getting Jenkins looking at me and thinking, hang on, you clown, we're only halfway through this. So <laughs> my enthusiasm got the better of me. So I thought, oh, yeah, he's quite right. We're only 40 minutes down here. Uh, and we haven't won, we haven't won, you know, we haven't got the result we want. So, yeah, it was, it was you know, pretty basic half-time, um, very... Uh, calm, which you've got to be. Um, you know, the days of throwing things up in the air in big matches, you know, uh, there are times where you need this uh, a little bit of motivation at half time. If boys have been a bit lethargic, but the players that they were far from that, so it was quite a, quite an easy half time in some ways. Good, and and the you know the second half pretty much went went the same way as the first penalties, and um, I think half penny brought you back to to, to twelve all, and then of course about eight minutes to go, and then Wilkinson lands a, a, another penalty 15, uh, 15 12 ahead, um, and and. You, you know, you, but again, the, the Blues responded, didn't they? And and you know, Corey Allen makes a great break out of uh, out of out of his own half, takes you into the twenty-two. I think Warby went on and, and you know, it was a, another charge, and then seven or eight phases of, uh, of 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 great great rugby, and then the replacement outside half, Gareth Davis. Then you know, wow, <laughs> just a you know that arcing run, and and there's a there's a great picture as 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 he as he beats Wilkinson, a Wilkinson kind of grasping thin air as he's as he's gone gone between, but just as he gets to the posts, he gets absolutely upended, doesn't he? And and it almost bounces off the off the artificial pitch under the post to score. I mean, you, you know, as a as a as a fan and spectator, you're you're on. You know, you've just, you've just gone bonkers. What's it like for a coach? <laughs> it, it yeah, it was it. The, th- the thing with coaching sometimes, uh, well, not sometimes, all of the time I've learned is that you've got to look at it through um, a strategic lens, if you like, because um, because if you look at it like a fan, you're going to just go, you know, you're going to have the ups and downs of the supporters. It's, it's, yeah. It'll, yeah. Drive you, it'll drive you mad. And it is easy to slip into that sometimes, by the way, when you know when the game is going on, because we've all got, Huge, we're all hugely invested in the game, one way or the other. In our case, now you pay the mortgage, you coach in, so it comes. So there's such a lot of lot of stake. But I must admit, when the sort of strategic thought process was pretty good all day, but I must admit, for that couple of minutes when he kicked the goal, uh, when he scored the try, the boys were running back and he was kicking a conversion and the arms park started singing. It was like being back there in the 80s when I was playing with Lefty. It was real old school atmosphere. I get a, there's in the back of my neck go up now when I think about that. It was such a, I was so proud of the fact that the players were able to sort of invoke that type of reaction out of the crowd. Uh, and I did for about three or four minutes. I was a fan. i got to say, I was... And I remember I was stood there and thinking, flipping heck, this is unbelievable. Uh, let's hope we can keep doing this, you know, game after game, year after year. You're obviously going to get some games that are more special than others, but I think it was a real unique occasion in the Blues history that, um, apart from when they've won trophies, of course, hmm. uh, you know, it was, for me, it was a big, one of the most significant matches in my career as a coach. I can look at Toulouse away with the Scarlets. I can look at Munster at home in the quarterfinals when we beat them, uh, when we beat Toulouse in a group game, you know, when we beat Glasgow back-to-back. But this game was significant because of, one, what happened the week before, and, two, you're talking about, you know, a team of superstars, really, uh, that we managed to turn over through, you know, sheer bloody-mindedness and and, and, and good organisation. And that's why I think, you know, we were also proud of that performance and that victory, you know. Yeah, and 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 of course, you know, there was still a a, a little bit of time to go, and Toulon, you, you know, were were bashing at the door again, and again that defence just uh, just held firm, and I think it was a knock on that that kind of finished the the game in in overtime, and um, as you say, you know, huge huge sense of pride. And the atmosphere is as well at uh, at there, and of course, to 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 add to all of that, wasn't it your fiftieth birthday? 
It was, that yeah. <laughs> it was. I think I think it was my fiftieth birthday, yeah. And I remember my wife had organised something in uh, in the cameo club because obviously we are you know, we didn't live in Cardiff, we've lived in West Wales, other than when we went to Leeds, we've been West Walians all our lives and uh still am to this day, of course. But uh we went to the cameo club, which is um where a lot of the Cardiff boys had gone. And we had a great we had a great time, it was great fun and chatting, you know, to to Peter Thomas, the chairman, and his brother, Stan Thomas, who had known arguably longer than Peter, uh, or, yeah, yeah. Or, or sort of knew. Uh, so Stan was there. I was, it was just, it was, you know, lots of our friends and uh, a few of the family and things. It was just a nice occasion. And obviously it was made a bit more satisfying and enjoyable by having such a, such a wonderful result, you know. Yeah, yeah. As as you say, it was one of those standout games in terms of that that era of the uh, of of the Blues, and uh, uh, you know to do it against a side like uh, Toulon, and 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 all the things you chatted about, you, you know that preparation, the the previous week, and all of those all of those things all coming together is is almost like a perfect storm, isn't it? Yeah, it was for sure. It was <laughs> epic yeah. victory, yeah. as you say. Mark, epic, <laughs> epic. Yeah, I, I mean, before before we before we finish off, uh, be, before we finish off today, that there was one one other kind of game that I wanted to 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 get uh, some some thoughts on, and of course, you you mentioned throughout this that uh, you you spent five years or so uh, coaching Namibia. Um, I think taking them to two World Cups, have you? The fifteen and yeah. and and nineteen. Yeah, we did. Um, and. And of course, the, the the nineteen World Cup, the the most recent, um, you you were in the same group as the All Blacks, um, and preparing a side of of amateur players to play, you know, arguably the greatest team in the in the world. That must have been something special as well on the old coaching CV. It was it, it it yeah it was it was like a bit of background. You know, after the Blues job, you know. I'd had, I'd had reason, I'd had a bit of success at Leslie, as I said, intermittent success with the Blue. Mm. But you know, I left both jobs really feeling unfulfilled. Um, yeah. Although I left the Blues under my own accord, you know, the Leslie job, I, I lost my job, which was difficult to take for a while because I had such a emotion invested in that club. Uh, but that, that's fine, and you move on. But I wanted to work in Tier Two, and I've always loved development. Um, I've always liked giving young people opportunities. You know, at the Scarlet, it was John Davis, Ken Owens, Scott Williams, his first, Reese Priestland. Uh, at the Blues, it was people like Corey Allen, you know, Lloyd Williams is coming through them, people like Reese Patchell, Corey Hill, mm-hmm. Macaulay Cook, all these guys, Matthew Screech. So I had an opportunity to go, you know, with World Rugby, did a bit of facilitation for them, and then the Namibian job came up. Uh, and we went to two World Cups, played the All Blacks. They were in our pool in the two World Cups. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the strategy really was finding out, yes, we wanted to qualify for the World Cup, and Namibia, historically outside of the Springboks, had the rugby history in Africa. Kenya, Zimbabwe, lots of talent, Uganda, huge, you know, great athletes. But Namibia had that sort of grit and, and, and experience at world level. but. So we were, you know, reasonably confident that at qualifying, particularly for two nineteen, but we just didn't want to qualify. We wanted to compete. Whereas previously they'd gone along and they've had some horrendous scores against them. Two fifteen, we created real credibility for the country again, and we got so close when he lost sixteen fifteen to Georgia. So we had our first World Cup point, for example. Um, so that was really satisfying. So it, it was a strategy of, of, of realising the standard we were going to, where we currently sat at the time, um, uh, say at the end of 2015, and how we were going to build and bridge the gap to where we wanted to be in relation to where we were. So we built the strategy. We looked at the players. We were playing with 70% amateur players. The rest were semi-pro, some were professional. Um, and, you know, coming out of the, the first World Cup, we had an average age of 30. But going into the next World Cup, we had an average age of 25. 
Um, yeah. or, and they played some more test matches. So there was a big, there's a lot of strategy going on, Mark, you know, about mm-hmm. the game, creating a playing pathway that can make us competitive. Uh, and and that's the strategy, really, of, of, of developing tier two countries. Uh, and you look at building, in, you, know, you look at incrementally improving areas of your performance, line out. Are we going to scrimmage New Zealand? No. Can we can we be solid on our ball? Quite possibly. So those are the type of things we were looking at. And, and you know, when we went to the World Cup against Italy, we wanted to score three tries. We scored three tries. Against South Africa, we wanted to effectively stop their driving more, and we did that five out of seven times. Against New Zealand, we wanted to keep the ball six times uh, over six phases. So that by the time we got to Canada, where they were 23 and 22 in the world, we felt we had a chance of winning the game. Well, we didn't in the previous three. It's not a defeat this Saturday. It's, it's fact. You're not going to beat those teams. I think we could have been closer to Italy if maybe we played more warm-up games. So it's, mm. it's an incremental um, improvement strategy in certain focus areas of the game that suits the team you were playing, uh, you're coaching and playing with, basically. So that's how we went about it. Uh, and against New Zealand, you know, we took the lead for for a minute, yes. <laughs> which, which I think a lot, a lot of Namibians have got a screenshot on their, uh, yeah. on their phones. Uh, and and with thirty seven minutes gone, we were only ten nine down against the world champions. And you know we kicked some penalties, we gone through some phases, and the crowd were right behind us. You know, uh, we were in the half time. I was quite excited until I saw the players on the floors if they'd been. Sort of all full <laughs> as if they'd been in a car crash. Or, dare I say that, or use that analogy? But they looked back yeah. up, uh, and I thought, "Oof, we're gonna our replacement strategy is gonna have to be important uh, here," which it was. And we 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 got everybody on the field. We competed. The scoreboard in the end was unkind, but nevertheless, we competed and kept our shape until the very end. So. The All Blacks were magnificent after, you know, after the game with the boys in the dressing room swapping jerseys. And as one of the All Black players told our players, you know, it was Steve Hansen's first old school team talk at halftime for a long, long, you know, for a number of years. So I think it was a little bit of balling and shouting because, you know, uh, I didn't think they'd just expect. I think it was 17, 12 at halftime or 79, I think. Nine, yeah. It was remarkable, really, for the players. And, it was a huge testimony. So just, you know, trying to be as – know what you're good at and try and be as good at those things as you possibly can in order to compete and gain respectability. And as I say, although the scoreboard was unkind, we did compete and we did gain respectability, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah, and, and you know, some fantastic uh, kind of anecdotes there. Brilliant to hear. Um you know how how good the the All Blacks guys were, and as you say, swapping jerseys and 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 so on, and and that's what makes rugby such a fantastic sport, Phil, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's they're great. You know, all all the teams we played against, you know, it's it, when you coach a tier two side, somebody says, well, you may go on a World Cup, but you're only coaching so and so and so and so, and I think that's a bit disingenuous. I think to the players who actually. Under the countries who actually make the World Cup up, you know, and it's 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 you go there and New Zealand out of all, all the teams are brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but out of all the teams we played, they were the most generous with the players afterwards, with with their time and with the jerseys and and also with their beer as well. Actually, so <laughs> you know, it, it's just wonderful to to see because I was being so lucky as a player and a coach to be at you know elite level with world-class players, um, you know, to see the smile and the joy on the faces of our boys shaking hands and, you know, with Richie McCaw and with Dan Carter in 2.15 and then with the Bowden Barrett's and Kieran Reeds in 2.19. And it's just it's just really wonderful and uh, to see. And it just shows, as you say, Mark, how special a game rugby is, you know. Yeah, and and of course, you know, ahead of twenty twenty three, I think they they've tinkered with the schedule as well, haven't they, to give actually a bit more rest time, particularly for the tier two nations. They've always had it had it tough in terms of the game uh, the game schedule. So again, that's a that's a step forward as well, isn't it? Oh, it is. I, I I've got to say, you know, 
about world rugby, having worked, you know, with them and and being supported by them for the last five years. They they are consistently trying to make the game safer. They're trying to make improve the game. And you know, whereas a lot of players will tell you, I, I think roughly it takes them two days to get over a match. Uh, you know, but for tier two sides, uh, you know, for the amateur boys, it might take them three days. Um, mm. They're not used to that. They're not in the gym every day, and you know they're, they're not. It's it's a different type of prep. Their preparation is squeezed into maybe a eight or nine week period, which is you know a window where squads have got to come together before World Cups. You know, so you know it's it's a real planning exercise, uh, and I think World Rugby you know do a huge amount to support that. Could they do more? Quite possibly they could. But from mm-hmm. my, our experience in Namibia, they were amazingly supportive and 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 and, and helpful in, in growing the game in our country and helping us prepare for 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 such a, a massive global event. You know, the, the Rugby World Cup now is the third biggest sporting event on the planet behind football yeah. and the Olympics, behind the FIFA World Cup and the Olympics. So yeah. shows how big the game is growing or continuing to grow. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 great and and great to hear you say you know uh, say that about world rugby and and what uh, you know what they're doing in the in the background to try and uh, to try and take it to take it forward to the to the next level. Um, Phil, it's it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to 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 chat to you. Uh, we've covered lots and lots of ground. Um, as as I said uh, earlier during the podcast, you know it, it's. It's fantastic for, for 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 me and for lots of others to to hear you talking so openly about mental health and and uh, and your own uh, your your own struggles and I think that's uh, you know long may that continue and, uh, and 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 so on. You picked a cracker of a game uh, to to to, uh, to to reminisce about and uh, the first opportunity we've really had to to talk about it from a coaching perspective. It's always been from a playing perspective, so that's given us a given us a real insight. So thank you for that. But I wish you all the very very best with what you're doing at uh, at, at Leeds Tykes. It is uh, hugely exciting, and we'll watch that with uh, with real uh, real. Um, you know, eyes on in terms of uh, in terms of seeing what will uh, will happen with there. But Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to to chat to you, and no doubt we'll catch up again soon. Cheers, Phil. Yeah, thanks very much, Mark. It's been a privilege. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Buzz. We do hope you're enjoying these podcasts. If you are, then why not tell five of your rugby mates to listen to and spread the word? We'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Don't forget, all the episodes from Series 1 and 2 are still available to catch wherever you normally listen to them. We have some great live events lined up for you once restrictions end, with a brilliant Pride of Lions dinner at Cheltenham Town Hall on July the 22nd, with 2009 Player of the Series Jamie Roberts, Scotland's Nathan Hines and England's Lee Mears. Tickets are available now from our website, www.hnhb.buzz. We'll be back with you next time for another episode. But in the meantime, be safe.